We've been doing a, a series on Goshen. It's a place where the Israelite slaves dwelt when the plagues came to allow the Israelites to leave Egypt. And there's so much in this story. And so if you haven't been here, some of this today is a follow-on. And I always say that because it you know, may encourage you to go and listen and to actually check things in the Bible. I would encourage you to read the Bible. It's, it's really good. And Joseph was the one who actually established you know, the Hebrew people of the Israelites in the land of Goshen. And the word Goshen means to draw near or drawing near or nearness. I didn't realize how many places even the, in the United States are like cities are called Goshen until I started doing some study and I started looking on a map. There's quite a few. And in different nations, even in Europe, places that, you know, some people have looked at the story and said, there's something in this that I want to name a city and a town after it. It's, it's quite interesting. And I... I think it's a, it's a prophetic picture of what it looks like for people who are not born there in Egypt, but to live in Egypt for a season. You know, because when you get born again, what happens is you're, the Bible says you receive a new nature. And, you know, Nicodemus went to Jesus saying, how can one be born again? Should I climb into my mother's womb as an adult man? And he said, no, it's not like that. When you're born on the earth physically as a baby, you have a, what the Bible calls a sin nature, depraved nature. And the center of that nature is self, you know, me. And that is the center of that nature. And that's why I've always said the opposite of self is not, uh, opposite of love is not hate but self. Because the Bible says love does not seek its own. Love is not selfish. And, and so when you get born again, the Bible says that, in a sense, you, you go into the grave with Christ in your old nature, and you die, and you, come, you get raised to life, and you receive a new nature. God takes his heart, and he puts it in your chest, and all of a sudden, there's a war in your life. You went to the pub last week, and, or the bar last week, and that was fine, and God does something, and then you go there again, and it's not that there's anything wrong with drinking, per se. I'm not dealing with that subject, but you continue with normal activities. I mean, the Bible does say don't get drunk, but you see, already in trouble. But you continue with normal activities, and now there's a war. You were doing exactly the same thing you were doing last week, and now it's not comfortable because it, it goes against the nature that God has given you, which is his own nature. And so unfortunately, it becomes often a do right, do wrong, a list of rules, when it's not like that at all. It's his nature, and he knows what genuine freedom is. And he knows what it is to actually be able to love those who hurt you, and he knows this, and he knows that that's how he is, and so he puts that in your heart. And so, you know, these people, these Israelites who represent, if you look to the New Testament, when you read the Old Testament, we look at it, obviously we have to understand the basic story of, and doctrine and what happened and the lineage of Christ and all those things. But we look at it prophetically. Everything points to Christ and now everything points back to Christ. That's why time changed when he was born. Dates changed. Everything changed when he was born. And so what happens is when I read the Old Testament, the Bible even says in 2 Corinthians 3, I don't know why the Spirit of God is pulling me to say these things. It's not what I was going to talk about. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 that in the reading of the Old Testament, it actually calls the Old Testament in 2 Corinthians 3 a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation. It's a fascinating verse. And it's, it's saying that, and it says in the reading of the Old Testament, the veil, you know when Moses would... He would speak to God, and his face would shine so powerfully that it would make the Israelites afraid, yeah? So he couldn't look at them without putting a veil over his face because they were so afraid of the glory of God on a human, on a person. And so he would put a veil over his face, 
but it says when he turned to God, in other words, when he turned to speak, he would have to remove the veil so he could commune with God, right? Now, what's interesting, what was torn when he died? What was torn? The veil, the curtain which separated us from God, right? And that was torn open. And the Bible says in the reading of the Old Testament, the same veil lies over our heart. That doesn't mean we don't read it. No, it's, a, it's the Scriptures. It means we don't read it as if we're under that covenant. It's a big deal. And so when you read the Old Testament, you say, what is this pointing to? And there's many Christ types and Christ figures. And Joseph is probably, I would say, one of the main, there's so many similarities. It's, I mean, it's unreal. And so we're looking at that story. And so people who are Christians today, whether they are walking closely with the Lord or not, if they're Christians, they're born of another place, and yet they live here. And in the, in the Bible, Egypt is often a reference to the world. We live in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Joseph became to live in Egypt, even rose to power in Egypt, but he was not of Egypt. You see that little sign? It's tiny for some of you. We bought it, and then we're like, that's a very big wall. My kingdom is not of this world. And, you know, you are part of a kingdom. The Bible says you are citizens of heaven. The Bible says you are seated in Christ with heaven. The Bible says that you are of him. It's actually good news. It really is good news. So, we're going to read a lot of scripture quickly. And because you all love scripture so much, you know, it's wonderful. Go to Genesis 45. And for the last two weeks, we've, we've probably read over this portion of scripture, maybe eight or nine times. It says this, verse 3 to 11. Then Joseph, this is when they come into Egypt because there's a seven-year famine in the land and they have no food and so they come looking for Egypt because God supernaturally just allowed Joseph to interpret dreams and so forth and plan in seven years of plenty for the seven years of famine. And now his brothers come who sold him into slavery and they don't even recognize him and now they arrive and that's where we pick it up. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. He reveals who he is. Does my father still live? because he didn't know if Jacob was still alive. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Because he's now powerful, and he could, could have ordered them killed in a moment. You know, you're standing with a person who walks with the Lord, not so much by the display of power, where that is necessary and is important. And we've seen God's, many people here have seen God's tremendous power, even some of you through your own hands, through your own life. But you know you're standing before a person who actually has a relationship with the Lord when by right he could bring something against you, but it, he doesn't want to. That there's something of God's heart that's entered his heart. It's a powerful thing. He doesn't treat you as you deserve, right? Because that's us. It's all of us. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And I've said this every week, and I don't know why every week I just feel like the Lord wants me to say it again. You know, some believers are, religion can take a hold of a person. By religion, I mean there's tradition. 
there's form, but there's no life. You, you understand? And, and they, you shouldn't, you know, have money, or you shouldn't do these things, or you should be, have nothing to do with the world. That's not true. You know, we are called to be in it. It's very easy to be a light if there's just light. And I, I believe there's captains of industry, even in this room, that God will place next to uh, other captains of industry, even those who are above them, and show them what it's like to stand next to a person who has a father's heart and actually is not there. They don't want anything from them. Because they, they, people are not used to that, friends. They're not used to, I'm going to build a relationship because I want something from you. Versus, actually, I just like you. I just love you. It's a very big strategy, I believe in the kingdom, in the business world. And he says, hurry up and go to my father and say to him, and then he tells him what to say to his father. And so we've, we've read that the last couple of weeks, and we spoke about the fellowship of the Spirit when he says, please draw near to me. It's very, very important that Jesus actually wants to deliver to his people the fellowship that he has with the Father. The Bible says that in many places. But it says the fellowship we get to have with the Father is similar to him. That is his desire to include us. It's not I have fellowship and then you have fellowship. No, we include it and that changes the heart so that we treat each other differently. It is the one accord, homomatothion, that's a strange long Greek word, that one accord that they had in the book of Acts. And it's a big deal. <laughs> I know I say a lot of things are a big deal, but to me they are. You know, I really believe the release of power Yes, there is times when God sovereignly moves. But in Matthew 18, Jesus says, when two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. Anything you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And, you know, if two of you agree on earth, I will do it. You know, those major famous prayers. But the lesson he's teaching is forgiveness. What he's trying to say is the release of my kingdom that is not of this world through you, through a group, through a person, through a family. The release of my kingdom is linked and tied to how you treat one another. It's an amazing truth. It is tied to that. And then we spoke about forgiveness. Do not be grieved. Do not be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. It's a fascinating statement. There's different types of forgiveness. Who is the hardest person to forgive? Yourself. Someone shouted that out. They know the truth. Yourself. And so Joseph facilitates that for them. Doesn't just say, well, I forgive you because I'm amazing. He says, don't be grieved in your heart that you did something. You actually were a tool of God. That's, a, that's an amazing heart. Friends, a divided house won't stand. Jesus taught that. A divided house won't stand. If you look at the way Christians treat each other, you know, when people leave the church or they say, I'm not a Christian or whatever, they, and when they grew up in it, it's not because of who Jesus is. It's because of what they see amongst his people. And, you know, it's sad, but it's true. And it will continue to happen because people are people. You know, people are people. So, do not be grieved. Then we talked about God's perspective. It was not you who sent me here, but God. To have God's perspective of a long time is when we learn to see his, his handiwork in hardship. Especially when he's not the source of it. I heard someone say, you know, when it comes to poker, we used to play a lot of poker. My dad taught us when we were young. And before he got saved, he was a poker shark. So, you know, he, he taught us well. But, you know, someone said God can win with a pair of twos. You know, and it's like that. God, the, certain hands get dealt. And we always think, well, that's God. Often it's not. We live in a fallen world and there's a prince of the air. And he affects people's lives very 
much. I'm talking about the devil and he's real. And so God gets blamed for a lot of things that are not from him. But he can take something and he can use it and turn it and change it. Bible says that, Romans 8. For those who love him, he would like to do that. And the purposes of God will never advance if a person's main focus is on their personal gain. Never. The purposes of God in a generation will advance when a person has seen something of the Lord. And what they're involved in is not, yes, they may be blessed, but it's not just for them. And the purposes of God will advance. So, what's the end result? It's the end result that we all, well, many people dream of. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, this is now years later. Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may repay us. And I'll tell you briefly, they walk, now, now, now dad's dead. Now Joseph's going to get us. He was treating us nicely out of respect for dad. Now we're in trouble. So they send a servant. Say this to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers for their sin. How many of us pray like that? God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's like, I forgave you. Three weeks later, God, I'm sorry. He's like, what are you talking about? You know, it's done. It's over. What are you, what are you talking about? You know, the Bible says he removes it. And he says, and Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why? Then didn't see his heart. Then his brothers also went and fell down. They were like, okay, he didn't kill the servant. We have a chance. So they go and fall down before his face. That word is presence, in his presence. And they said, behold, we are your servants. What is the first thing that Jesus called his disciples when he rose from the dead? Brothers. He said, hello, brothers. Even though they all ran away and left him. And he said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. It's all here in the story. It's amazing, prophetic truth. He said, we're your servants. He's like, well, you're my brother. What do you mean you're my servant? And he says this. Joseph said, don't be afraid for, am I in the place of God? <laughs> he said, I've entrusted myself in a sense to him who judges justly. I know God to the degree that I know that whatever, it's not up to me. I love him and I love you, no matter what you've done to me. Yeah? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. It's like he's still trying to show them who God really is. Who God really is. And here comes the dream that many people desire. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, verse 22, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children, that's his son, Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Machir and the son of Manasseh were also brought up on Joseph's knees. That's a hope realized. Person who forgives and understands what they've been forgiven and it changes their heart and they forgive is always a person who unites families. Always. Even the family of God. And, you know, he raised many generations on his knee like a grandpa in a land where there was peace and prosperity, in a land where there was provision and peace. You know, it is the dream to raise multiple generations to see that happen. Yeah? yeah. Great. We agree. I kind of forced that one, but I, th I think we agree. Yeah. And why? Because one man discovered the heart of God and learned to see things from his perspective and didn't take everything personally, and didn't become a victim, and didn't judge God based on the, the behavior of his people, and, 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 and. 
one person and an entire nation is united. You know, with this, we arrive somewhere. Let's go to Genesis 47. What was this all built upon? And I understand what it was all built upon in terms of, you know, Joseph's heart and Joseph's understanding of the Lord. But there's something I want to show you today that I trust is revelation to you. It's really one major truth. There's, there's a bunch we'll talk about, but there's one major, just one thing that I'm asking God to really put into our hearts. Genesis 46, verse 27 to 29. Now, Joseph has sent all these wonderful carts, you know, wagons back to, to Jacob and all the sons and all the whole family. And he says, bring out your people out of that land of famine and come and live in this land, which is in famine, but you get to live in the best land because you know Jesus, who Joseph represents Christ, okay? So, this is when they reunite, Jacob and Joseph. Genesis 46, 27. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons, and all the persons of, of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen, or they came to the land of nearness. They came to the land where they could draw near. And so Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while because they hadn't seen each other. Now, we're going to do some prophetic study. Is that all right? That's all right. Great. Some prophetic truths. First, you see the beloved son. We know the story of Joseph. He was the beloved son. It's not because Jacob was a horrible dad. It was because it was pointing to Christ. He was the one beloved son out of many. God has many sons, but there's one begotten, one beloved son, and that's Jesus. And when Jacob returns with 12 sons, he sees his beloved son. And so what you see is 12 sons of Israel, the core of those who came into Egypt. There were 70, yeah, you read 70, but the core, the, the substance of those who came into Egypt were 12 sons of Israel, and literally Israel. Jacob was called Israel. 12 sons of Israel, and with one who would lead them, who in a sense conquered the throne. I am now father to Pharaoh, that's what he said, who conquered the throne with no war. Yeah, sounds very similar. There were 12 sons of Israel, many thousands of years later, sent into the world with one who led them, who conquered the world without physical war. Jesus Christ. It's staggering, it's, it's right there. And he calls us brothers. We also see the same truth at the revealing of his father, he wept. When Christ ascended on high, when he had been through all the pain and the suffering and the cross, just like Joseph had been through all that stuff, it was the revelation of the Father that was open to the world. It was not open before Christ came. It was God the Creator, God Almighty, El Shaddai, El Elyon, El Adonai, God mighty and strong in battle, but God as a Father was not yet revealed. Christ came and said, I've come to reveal the Father. But only when he had gone through that and gone through the cross when he ascended, and he, the, the Father was revealed. <laughs> and the embrace of the Father, no matter your position, no matter how important you are, no matter how old you are, no matter who you are, the embrace of a Father will always heal the heart. It is always the longing of the heart. 
That's why the Bible says in Galatians, when the Spirit of God enters you, it doesn't cry out creator. It doesn't cry out, it cries out father. The Bible says that twice. The Spirit inside you cries out, my father, I need a dad. It's always like that. And that's what you see. Joseph, the man of, you know, he shows you humility, this high powerful man. But when he saw his father, he wept a long while on his neck, which is always... I just read scripture, it's like, it's just so real to me. You know, Jesus told the story about a prodigal son when he returned to his father. He says, the father fell on his neck and loved him. You're my son whom I love. You know, we all need that moment, the revealing of a father. No matter, we need a, we need a father. He is our father. But we also sometimes, you know, even if you didn't grow up with a father, and I'm not talking about that this morning, we need the expression of a father. It is the longing of the heart. It brings healing to the heart. There are many of you in this church who are like fathers to some. It's, a, it's really important. It's really, really important. It always heals the heart. Amen? When you live with God's perspective... When you live with a relationship with the Lord, when you learn not just his power, my dad raised us always saying the same, you know, he said many verses, but the one that always struck me and the one that always was curious to me and that I, it was like a longing in my heart was he used to say, you know, Psalm 103, Israel knew God's deeds, but Moses knew his ways. You know, it's like Israel saw his power, but Moses knew his ways. The word there means his manner his habits, his heart. You know, when you know someone like that, I know what they're going to do because I know their heart. And some of, even today, what I'm trying to show with some of this prophetic teaching is not just the power of God, but is his heart and his ways. And then people take his ways and they turn it into a formula and a method. Do that, then you do this, then you do this, and then you do this, and God does this. But he's a living God. He's not a robot. He's alive, he's living, and he's your father. And for those who walk with the Lord and know the Lord, they actually get the privilege of revealing the father to others. They really do. This is what the father's like. And healing comes and the longing of the heart. Everything changes when you embrace your father. Then it says this, 70, it's a big number in the Bible. But it says, all the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. Okay, well, go to Luke 10. If you were here last night, you've got to cheat on this because we spoke about it briefly. Luke 10, verse 1. It's great to see you with the Bible, Josh. Actually paging through the Bible. It's wonderful. So I just like to go to him when I can. He always has a Bible. But Luke 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70. Some of your translations may say 72. The Greek, it's 70. After these things, this is Jesus, he appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before his face. Isn't that a strange way to say it? Like, why does it say it like that? Well, we're going to tell you. Before his face into every city and place where he himself, Jesus, in a sense, was about to go. Also, Deuteronomy 10.22 says this. Your fathers went down to Egypt, speaking about this thing with Jacob, with 70 persons, and now the Lord God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. So there's amazing truths here. Those who came into Egypt were 70, and they grew and multiplied so much that the first 
chapter of Exodus, it tells you why the Israelites became slaves in Goshen and then God consecrated Goshen so that all the plagues wouldn't touch them but touch them. Which is, should be the distinction between God's people, the presence of God. Yeah? Why is it it's so, it's so amazing? Because it says here in Deuteronomy that you grew and multiplied so much. You started with 70, but you grew and multiplied so much you like the sand and like the stars. Okay? And it's true of us. Jesus sent out 70, and we've grown and multiplied so much in the earth. We are like the sand and the stars. You know, because God's purposes will stand. They will stand. It will not deflect. It will not change. And what happened? It says in Exodus 1 why they became slaves. It says because these people have multiplied on the earth and because they've, been, they've multiplied so much, this is Egypt now in the first chapter of Exodus, we're afraid of them, so we have to make them slaves in order to control. You know, and many believers feel like that. They're slaves to a system. Pharaoh often represents the enemy, the devil. They're slaves in the mud and the muck and the mire and a system, and we just do the same thing. We go round and round, and you feel like you're chained to your career, you, and the career's good, but maybe God put you there, and it changes the way you are because of a perspective difference. And it's like, I'm just like a slave because the enemy knows if I keep them busy, they're not going to be trouble. And it started with 70, and they grew so much they became slaves to control them because the enemy is terrified of your potential. And please hear that. I don't care what you've done wrong. I don't care what your past is. You should hear my past. You're doing just fine. You know, your potential is based on Jesus Christ. And the enemy is terrified of that. And it does require a house, a place that understands his perspective, forgiveness, unity, and all these things so that the potential can come out of God's people. But what is it, after all those wonderful things, what is it that breaks it all open? What is it that establishes it all? What is it that takes it from all this, oh, wow, that's cool and that's interesting. But what is it that goes, now it's established. Now it's in concrete. Now it's immovable. Well, it's told us. What did it say? Genesis 46, 28. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. Judah means praise. Yadua, but it comes from the word yada, which is praise. It's the first time praise is mentioned in the Bible as yada. There's seven Hebrew words for praise. Yada is the first one. It's the foundation of it. It's praise. He sent Judah. Now, he should have sent Reuben. Culturally, Reuben was the oldest. Reuben was the oldest, and so he felt responsible when they did those things to Joseph. And he was the one who actually saved Joseph from being murdered. He said, let's just put him in a pit. He tried to help Joseph, and he was the oldest. He should have been the one that... Jacob sent up. But Jacob understood. He named them very purposefully. That's in that culture. Jacob understood something. And he sent praise ahead. He sent praise. It's a big deal. I was realizing what I was saying again. The King James says it better. He sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face. Huh, sounds a lot like Luke 10.1. Before his face. He sent Judah before him to Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. They were now established as a people. 
even though they were on the earth, as you are. Remember Luke 10, after these things the Lord appointed a little, and they sent him two by two before his face. Now, can we do some Hebrew study? You, okay, great. What does that verse say in the Hebrew? Genesis 46, 28. He sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. That before him is the word presence, like the presence of God. When the Bible talks about the presence of God, it's the word panaim. And it says in the Hebrew, Judah, then it says panaim, the presence of God, the person of God, the power of God, the spirit of God, the panaim, the presence. And then it says to point or to direct his face. That word direct is yara. It means to pour. Very New Testament language. To pour out, pour out your spirit, Lord. To cast. The very next verse after Luke 10 is Luke 10, 2, after Luke 10, 1. Say my math, genius. And it actually says he cast them out into the, and it's the word ekbalo, I send you out. And it says the last one, to direct his face. Again, presence. To direct his presence. It says it like this in the Hebrew. Yadapa name Yosef. Yadapa name. This is going to be interesting. Let's try to say it together. Yada. Paname. Yosef. Yara. Paname. There we go. Hebrew. Qualified. You guys are doing great. It means praise, presence, Yosef, or Jesus. So we say Yeshua. Yadapa name Yeshua. Now, that's a big deal, and we're going to talk about why. Firstly, praise opens the way. You send praise ahead. They used to practically do it as battle. But what is that sentence saying? Praise brings us into his presence. Send praise to, into the presence of Joseph. Praise brings us into his presence. It brings us near. It brings us nearness. And then he pours his presence to where we are headed. Hello? Yeah. Praise brings us into his presence. And then yara, I direct my face. Jesus said, I sent them before my face. There's a reason they use that Greek language. Because in the old Septuagint, the Greek, it actually says it very similarly. Same Greek words are used. You know, it's a strange thing in Egypt. I sent them before my face. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, here's my face. And like, what? Like, what? Because we don't know the text. It's very purposeful. It's pointing back. You live in the world, but you're not of it. I will send you before my face. I will send you with my power and with my presence, but it's established on praise. Praise the, to praise God brings you into his presence, especially when you don't, uh, there's many different words for praise. One of them is, you know, to be thankful. One of them actually means the extending of the arms in a surrender. It's, it's why we worship this way, because you bring your body and subject to your spirit the members that God wants to use for righteousness, which are your hands and your feet, to lay hands, to speak, your mouth. And, but one of them also means to shake, as in, as in I'll shake hands in agreement. It's the supernatural power of agreement. It's one of the words for praise. One means to be clamorously foolish. 
The Western people don't like that, but that's what it means. But to praise from a response of thankfulness is wonderful. But there's a different form of praise that is based on his worth. It's not because of something that he's done. It's just because of who he is. I don't see, I don't understand, I don't even know the way. Yet, I will praise you. Jacob couldn't see the way. He didn't know what it would be like. He didn't know what he was going to. But he sends praise. And that opens things, friends. It opens things. And it's not just, okay, tell me what to say. It's not just, I sing a song. I love you, Lord. No, it's, it's from the heart. Because you know him. So, praise will bring us into his presence, into the presence of Jesus. It brings us into his presence. It brings us near. And then he pours out his presence. He directs his face. He pours. That word pour. He pours out his presence to where we are headed. Acts 2.33, Jesus Christ, exalted to the right hand of the Father, who pours out the Spirit that you now see and hear. First, Christ is exalted. Praise poured out. It's all over the Bible. How? Two ways. The first is obvious. You praise. Brings you, 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 when you go into the presence of Jesus and you praise and you, you praise and it's just, I mean, we just love to worship here. But, so then, but then you learn to worship over a situation or over a person on behalf of something, even a business deal. He, he really is the best businessman in the world. I mean, he, he knew what to do to make Joseph be in charge. I, I think he knows. So, you, you, you know, you bring praise. And then he says, I'm going to now direct this, this presence, my presence. I will direct my face, my presence, Paname. I'm going to pour it into your situation. Because you, you're praising me based on my worth before that's changed. And you will continue to praise me because he sees the heart even if that doesn't change. So, you know, because I don't change, he says. So, I will pour this into your situation. The other way it brings change is actually, I believe, God's more desired way. His praise brings us into his presence, and then he pours his presence into you. And then he sends you into that situation. That's what happened there. I sent Judah before my face, and I will direct, and then he says, and then they, they led the way, because Jesus makes the way. He led the way to Goshen. He took them there, and Goshen became consecrated by God, where they were protected. Why? Because they went there. Not because it was a special place. It actually says that in Exodus 1, I think, verse 8. It says, God consecrated Goshen because his people were there. Where are you? It belongs to the Lord. You know? And he will pour his presence into your situation. But he longs to pour his presence into you, which is to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's actually in charge of me. And I receive his ministry. He is lordship. And he pours his presence into me. And when it gives me his perspective, I forgive easily. You know, you become different. And then he sends the, you into that situation. It's, and that brings us to the next point, cards. It's like, what? 
Carts, yep. Carts. What brought them there? The carts that were sent back to Jacob to let him know that it was Joseph. Genesis 45. Bring your father and your household and come near to me. Verse 18. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. That's Goshen. And you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Also do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. You know, it's like that. God, I'm going to bring the things that I'm good at. You know, I'm good at things and I'm, you know, it's like, mm. you know, where you're going, it really is more than enough. You know, it's okay. And then it says, verse 25, then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over all the land. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. You know, that's good news. It's a lot like the gospel. It's actually good news. Here they come with these carts filled with gifts. That's what the commentators will say. That's what the commentaries actually say. It's filled with gifts and with stuff to demonstrate the kind of place where you're going. And so it's filled with all the stuff and it comes all these carts and they tell him, jo Joseph, he's alive. And it says he, his heart stood still because he couldn't, he couldn't believe. It's a lot like the gospel. You know, when you say good news, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news and glad tidings. And we speak to someone and it's actually good news, but life has happened to them so much. They were dealt hard hands. They were maybe a drug fetal child. You know, we don't know what they've been through. We don't know. I grew up with a good friend whose father beat him with hammers. We don't know. You know, and we bring this good news and then we judge them based on their response to it. So how can you not believe in Jesus? Because life has happened so much. They don't know how. You know? Yes, Jacob says his heart stood still. Couldn't believe. So how? how do we, what do we do? And he says, and Jacob's heart stood still. He did not believe them. But when they told him all the words what Joseph had said. Who does Joseph represent? Jesus. When we told him the words <laughs> that Jesus said, and when he saw the carts that represents the gifts, which Jesus said, and they will carry him, and the spirit of Jacob their father revived. You see, these carts are gifts. I was going to read you part of a commentary, but I don't want to take the time. For us, it's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave. And when I leave, I will send you a gift. The Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he will be to you what I've been to you. You know? And people think, you know, it's, it's the end. No, it's the means to the end. The gifts that we receive from the Lord, the Holy Spirit, salvation, spiritual gifts, whatever, they, are, they come to us to carry us into his presence. It's not just, look at me, I'm gifted. No, they come to carry you to him. Yeah? Because it's his and it comes from him. 
a cart carries something. If I, I have very little, because of the extreme generosity this morning, uh, I have very little water in my little cup here. But, you know, a cart, I, I often say, you, you carry something. A cart carries, you know, a cart will carry. It came to carry them to him, yeah? What happens is people can begin to carry something. And people say, what do you mean when you, when you say that? There's water in this cup, although you cannot see it. If I want water, I need a cup. Especially if it's going to be useful for others and I need to take it somewhere. I'm not going to take water. I mean, by the time I walk out the door, it's gone. The Holy Spirit is like that. It needs a container. People don't want the container. They'll drink the water and throw the cup away. You carry something. You carry Christ. You carry the Holy Spirit. What they need is not you. They need who you carry. And that's Him. That's a very important thing to understand. How is it that people can, I'm living for people, I'm, I'm, I'm studying the Word for people, or whatever you do, I, I want to bless, I want them free, I want to, and, and they come at you, and they shout at you, and they lie about you, whatever, whatever's happening, you know, why? Because it's what you carry. Sometimes people get so caught up with the cup, but it's who you carry, that's a game changer. You carry Him. You may not be aware of it, but if you're a believer, you carry Christ. You carry the Holy Spirit within you. You carry something, friends. You're, you really do. You see, when you carried into his presence, God will give you things. Jacob or Jesus sent things, gifts. So when you come to a person and their heart stands still, they don't believe you. They don't believe Jesus. They don't believe all this stuff. Why? Well, Either they've been convinced out of it or life has happened or very many reasons. So what do you do? It's the Word. That's why I encourage you to put the Word of God in you. Because it says, but when he heard Joseph's words, when I heard the words of Jesus, but it's not just, okay, this is what he said, that's, you know, now you should believe. No, no, it's when the words have changed you and they come through you. Because the words that Joseph spoke were not the words that he remembered of Joseph when he was a boy. It was the words of a man who never treated people according to how they deserve. Something had changed. He said, that's, that's the son that I saw, my beloved son. You know, and what? The gifts, the Spirit of God. When I heard the word and when I saw what happens in Acts, Tell them what you see and what you hear. The Word and the Spirit of God. It changes situations and lives and hearts and people and regions. You see, that's a, that's a big deal. Sorry. Now, can we draw, what's the time? One more scripture. Joshua 15 verse 20, and then we'll be done. It says this, Joshua 15, verse, tw verse 20 to 63. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it. It's very, very long. It starts with this. 
then this is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. And then it lists a million places that I can't pronounce half of them. But in the middle of that list, it says Goshen. It's just kind of thrown in there. Goshen. Who did Jacob send up? He sent praise before him. He sent Judah. And Judah inherits that land. Now, obviously, Jesus comes from the line of Judah. But what you discover in his presence through praise, especially praise when you can't see, I don't understand, not praise based on outcome, praise based on his worth. What you discover through his presence, uh, in his presence through praise, he will give you ownership of. It becomes yours. It became his. It became Judas. It belonged to him. It was his land. He had ownership of something. And that's exactly what happens when God sends something to you and it carries you into the presence of Jesus. And you spend time in his presence. You spend time in his presence. You spend time in his presence. And many Western people think, uh, it's a waste. I mean, I've prayed now for like a couple minutes and like nothing's happened, you know? So let's go do something. It's like, no, spend time in his presence and spend time in his word. Get to know him. Be with him. Stay with him. Come to these places where there's real worship and there's the presence of God changes the heart and ministers and changes you. And then he puts his presence in you. Now you are the cart. And now you carry him. And now wherever you go, oh, things change. And not because of you. You're the cup. You're a, you're a cup. Now your value is extremely high. I'm not saying you're a nothing. But compared to the one you carry, he gets it done, not you. It's his strength, not yours. His power, not yours. I was giving a word of knowledge to someone a little while ago and it was very detailed and like all about their life. And they were like, how do you know those things? And you know, sometimes people will, they look to you. They're like, they said, you're, you're amazing. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Unless he makes it go ding, I ain't got nothing. I can't do any of that. But he can. And he loves you. He's interested in you. God Almighty Creator, he knows all those little things about your life. It fascinates me how amazing and how interested he is in people. So, it's the same for us, friends. God desires to send sons into the world. And like the first 70 who were sent into Egypt, they lived in the place of nearness. And then God sent 70 again, 70 other sons of Israel, or sons of the kingdom. And the report that came back when they went, when Jesus sent the 70 was, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Because the first 70 that was, that was sent, as they grew and multiplied, they were made slaves. The second 70 took dominion of the one who made them slaves and cast him down. You, God will send. Maybe physically somewhere. Did you ever consider that you, if you believe in Jesus, you don't get to choose where you live? For real. The Bible says God determines exact places and times where you should live. It was one of the first revelations I had after I got saved. I said to God, and well, God said to me, son, you will never again choose where you live. I will. And here I am in a different country. Yeah, he may send you somewhere. 
Some of you, we have this big plan. Well, he has a plan for your life. And it's better than yours. Way better than yours. The devil has a plan for your life. It's way worse than yours. It's not even that creative. It always ends in death. It really does. Jesus' plan always ends in life. You know? I'll say this. I don't know why I'm feeling to say this. The devil hands out power much faster than God. It's important to understand this. He will hand out power, genuine power. He has no authority, but he does have power. And he will hand out power quickly, occultic power, supernatural power, But because he, 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 he doesn't care about the one he's giving it to. So it's like if I need this thing moved from the air to there, I'll take a two-year-old and give him keys to a truck so that it can be moved. It'll kill the two-year-old. I don't care. I just want something done. God is a father. The devil can't give you authority, but he will give you power, which makes you think you're in charge. Jesus gives authority. And he releases power to you when it won't destroy you. Because he's a father. God's your father. It's a big difference. Because his goal is life. Devil's goal is destruction. That's why even in this series, all I've really wanted to do is peel back the mask that the enemy wears in your life, in our lives. Let him see the deception. When you're at each other, like I said last week, and we devour each other, Paul says, see, it's deception. He loves you more than you could possibly fathom. And he has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for you. He may send you somewhere because he loves you, because he desires to pour something into you. And it's all established on what? Praise. Praise. I will praise you, Lord. I will praise you, Lord. I will praise you. Amen.